Good morning, Berea. I'm excited to come to you from uh, the back porch now. Uh, many of you have been working on lots of projects and things like that over your quarantine. Well, I'm sitting on one of mine, this deck. I'm not quite done with it yet. i got to finish the pergola, but but it's a, a work in progress. But it's almost done. Uh, plenty good enough to sit on and, uh, and come to you this morning. I'm so excited. Uh, man, it is the end of May already. Can you believe it? May 24th. Uh, this month has now literally flown by, but that's okay. It's all good because that means that next week, next week is Welcome Home Sunday, May 31st. We are so excited about seeing each other once again, even if it is from six feet apart. That's okay. We are so excited. We pray that all of you can make it. Here's the plan if you don't know it already. Sunday, May 31st, 10 a.m., outside service. We're going to meet out on the grass. Uh, might be a little damp, so just consider that on the grass uh, in the morning with the dew. Um, but uh, we'll have it should have it well mowed ready to go for all of us we'll have a, a, a simple worship service out there I'm so excited uh, to bring to you the message that day I've already got it done and uh, it's a very special day in the life of the church if you don't know that already um, but I get to share that with you next week so next week Sunday May 31st at church 10 a.m. Um, we need everybody uh, to come spread out along uh, around the lawn and uh, just enjoy that day with us we cannot wait to get back together if you've been following the news across the nation uh, then you know that uh, it's been good news all around. The places that have begun opening up, good things. Our state opened things up this weekend, two days earlier uh, than what was originally planned. Things are heading in the right direction, and we pray this is God's leading and direction for us to come back together. I can't wait to be with all of you again. Just the one service at 10 a.m. And then the next week on Sunday, June 7th, um, we are going to meet once again. This time, we're going to meet back at the church. Now, we've made a few changes there, and some things uh, will be a little different in the sanctuary. We'll see if you notice those things um, whenever you come to join us on the on the seventh, but uh, we're gonna do whatever we need to, um, uh, spacing wise and stuff like that. As that comes around, we'll have two weeks to prepare that. Still, uh, we will have uh, plenty of hand sanitizer on hand. I've ordered uh, some masks. If if you happen to be a person that would like to wear one of those while you're there, there will be some available. If you've got your own, please bring that, wear that. But most importantly, remember we want to make this available to everyone. And so, if you are a high risk person, I want you to remember that on Sunday, May seventh, and at least for the next few weeks after that we're going to make available a special door just for you the southwest door that side entrance a single door on the uh, southwest corner of the building if you will that leads right into that back classroom that'll be the place where you park that will be the place where you come in um, and you'll go into that room we'll have chairs set up in that room and uh, you can you'll be able to arrange them kind of so you can sit next to uh, your spouse or, or whoever you you've come with uh, but then the, we will live stream that service into that room on that day and then like I said the next few weeks at least and, and however long is necessary to keep that group of people safe so they can still worship together with us so next week at church 10 a.m. weather permitting if we happen to have a bad weather day we'll come to you just like this once again but we're praying we're praying hard that that does not happen um, on May 31st and June 7th we'll be back in the building so so keep that in mind um, most of you hopefully all of you know that this is Memorial Day weekend and tomorrow is the day that we'll celebrate Memorial Day now this will be a very strange Memorial Day weekend um, for at least us in Indiana because uh, there's a large thing missing from this weekend um, in Indianapolis but uh, I wanted to bring this to you it's a, it's a short little message if you will that a pastor named Jim Martin wrote just a few years ago and, and it, it had something really special in it that I wanted to share with you guys so I'm just going to, to share it directly with you as a tribute 
to Memorial Day and to all of you that have served and, and those of you that have lost loved ones, family members in the service throughout the year in, in defense of our country. This is an incredible, meaningful holiday, but it's also a really unique holiday uh, in comparison with the rest of the world. And there's some things that kind of go along with this holiday in its past. Now, today, many people just kind of see it as another day off from work, an opportunity maybe for the family to get together for a picnic, that first true weekend of summer. A lot of people call it the beginnings of vacations or just countless other projects, things we can do to fill the day off that so many of us will get on Monday. Originally, some of you probably know that it was called Decoration Day. It was a day where literally everyone would fly an American flag. They took great time and pride in doing that. They paused to offer thanks for the sacrifice of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country and the armed services. Communities would hold parades, bands would march, floats would carry veterans from the previous military conflicts. The community would often gather if there was a memorial or, or statue in town and, and remember those that served in these various conflicts around the world from World War One, World War Two, the Korean conflict, Vietnam, and now obviously the more recent conflicts that we've had in our nation's history. would take red, white, and blue wreaths and those small American flags and place them, decorate the graves of any man or woman who had served our country in uniform, especially those that had lost their life as a result. But now, the days, the, the emphasis is more on grilling. It's more on getting away, taking a vacation. Uh, this weekend, and under normal circumstances, this is usually one of the, the heaviest traveled country, or weekends in our entire nation. We might, just might, give a passing thought to those that have died while defending our freedom, but it's definitely not something that occupies everybody's conversation and the events, if you will, of the weekend any longer. Now, there are still dedicated families and individuals that will decorate the graves and put those American flags out even at churches in memory of those who died defending our country, but the parades and the celebrations are nearly gone. If you've ever attended a funeral service for anyone who has served our country, then you just might have heard that famous bugle piece called Taps played. Now, most of those pieces don't have lyrics, but this one does. Not necessarily known who the author was, there's some differing opinions about that, but the sad, sad sounding song actually has lyrics that are rich in meaning. And the overriding message of the song is that all is well because we are in God's hands. So I want to take a moment and just read those lyrics to you today. If you've heard the song, then hopefully in your mind you can kind of hear how the lyrics go with the song taps. Today is done, gone the sun. From the lake, from the hills, from the sky. All is well, safely rest, God is nigh. Fading light dims the sight, and a star gems the sky, gleaming bright. From afar, drawing nigh, falls the night. Thanks and praise for our days, neath the sun, neath the stars, neath the sky. As we go, this we know, God is nigh. The sun has set, 
shadows come. Time has fled, we must go to our rest. Always true to the promise that we've made. While the lights fade from sight and the stars gleaming rays softly send, to thy hands we our souls, Lord, commend. Hopefully you know Memorial Day is about so much more than picnics or wreaths or even flying American flags. It stands as a reminder that our lives are safe and we are free because of the sacrifice of others. And all is well. And it's also a great example of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us so that we could truly be free for all eternity as he took it upon himself to willingly sacrifice his very own life for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father God, as we pray today and we remember those that have come before us, those that have offered their life in service of this country to give us the freedoms that we have today, I pray that we never lose sight of these freedoms, that we never take these freedoms for granted, and we always remember those that are willingly, even to this very day, offering up their lives if needed to maintain these freedoms father we thank you for this country that we're blessed in although it is imperfect father we know that's because of us you are the only perfect one and your perfect example of your son and the sacrifice he willingly made for us allows us to be free not just in these days but in all days for all eternity father we love you may we never forget it's in jesus name we pray Amen. Well, if your household is like ours, we are celebrating the end of the school year. Everyone is officially done with school now. No more e-learning, at least not now. We don't know what the fall looks like yet, I guess. But for now, it is done, and we are excited. And so I'm excited to find out what it is McKenna has in store for our families and kids this week as we now enter into official summer vacation. McKenna, what's on tap for this week? Thanks, McKenna, uh, for that, and I know our family is excited about these weeks ahead and, and summer vacation. This week, we're, we're continuing in the book of James. A little different topic this week, but still a part of our genuine faith. If we are truly to be who God wants us to be as believers, this is essential. And so, let's start with this. Genuine faith, it looks at people differently than the world looks at people. There's an old famous passage in the book of 1 Samuel. God has sent his prophet Samuel to go and anoint the second king of Israel, the one to follow King Saul. And so as Samuel approaches the house of Jesse and begins to look over what are some very impressive sons that Jesse has, God reminds Samuel using these words. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is the heart of God as he looks at you and as he looks at me. And it should be our heart as well as we look 
at others. Now, in all cultures across all time, man has discriminated against mankind. There is always someone that the world will view as a lower person, someone that is beneath you, someone that is poorer, someone that has less power, less influence, or the world says, well, they're just not as good as you are. Did the religious leaders reject Jesus because he wasn't smart enough? Well, no, he was way smarter than them. Did they reject him because his miracles weren't impressive enough? Uh, bringing people back from the dead, I think, kind of takes that out of consideration. One of the factors that definitely contributed to their disdain, their dislike for Jesus, was because he was a nobody. He wasn't famous, he wasn't rich, he was a nobody from Nazareth, and nothing good could come from Nazareth, just a simple son of a carpenter. He wasn't what they were expecting, and it's one of the reasons why he was so quickly rejected by the religious leaders. They were discriminating against him. James cautions those in the church to have absolutely nothing to do with such things. Jesus will accept anyone and then begin to change them from the inside out. If we are unwilling to do the same, then our faith in God is brought into doubt. James's words are very uncomfortable for a lot of people, even to this very day. I wonder why they're so hard to accept. So let's begin. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Read with me, will you? My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, Christ must not show, or Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man comes in in filthy old clothes as well. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, He's a, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Church, it couldn't be any simpler. Don't do it. But man, it is so easy, isn't it? You probably don't even consciously do it. Our culture trips over itself. When we're around celebrities or the wealthy, it tries, but yet tries to cross the street to avoid the poor or the homeless. Now this exists in every walk of life and every culture under the sun, but it should not be this way in the church. It should not be this way for Christians. Now, depending on your age, as you're watching right now, some of us lived through the closing of the 20th century, and some revolutionary things happened in our world during that time. What we always knew was the Soviet Union began to break apart, and an gr entire group of people that were trapped inside that communist nation, the Jews, began to leave and were free to go back to migrate to Israel once again. We remember famously in the 90s the Berlin Wall coming down, and Eastern Europe taught us that, hey, Nobody can be suppressed forever or discriminated against indefinitely. South Africa began to a radical racial transformation that's still ongoing even to this very day. And here in America, we have to remember that we are only a few short generations away from a serious amount of racial segregation and discrimination in our very own country. Now, in the Middle East, discrimination is as prevalent as ever. And in the United States, discrimination definitely still exists, not just between blacks and whites or other ethnicities, between Jews and Gentiles, but even today, as we know, discrimination has begun against conservative Christianity, those that follow Christ. Anti-Christian bigotry is on 
the rise for sure, but we are called to be different. As the church, nearly more than 2,000 years now, since these words, since the founding, we must not avoid the issue of discrimination, whether it's discrimination in the world or it's discrimination within our churches. We cannot ignore it. One would think that after 2,000 years of teaching the Word of God, and in particular these words of James, that honestly, James chapter 2 would be irrelevant. That, hey, we would have fully implemented this teaching into our church and into our lives, and there would be no issues. Unfortunately, though, these verses are often ignored or completely dismissed as people of God. And the reality is, as people of God, we still battle these same problems of prejudice, of racism, of discrimination, and more. It just looks a little different these days. As a follower of Jesus, I am called to keep my faith impartial completely. I am called to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus, man, he, he left no stone unturned. He said that your neighbor is, well, anyone. It's, it's everyone. And then he took it a step further and says, oh, everyone and your enemy. Now that leaves absolutely no one out. There is no room for any form of prejudice, any form of discrimination within the kingdom of God. This is what real faith demands of us. This is what true religion is to look like. We are called to treat everyone the same with the love of God. So go ahead. In your mind's eye, who is it that you have the hardest time loving. It might be a very specific person and you might have a very specific reason for why you cannot love that person or you feel as if you cannot love that person or that it's necessary to discriminate or judge that person. But the question becomes for each of us, if that's the case, is this how God wants us to feel? Does God not offer that person forgiveness? Did not God not die for that person as well? You see, that takes us into a whole new world and we are forced to deal with the reality of how we should treat even that kind of person. But maybe it's not a specific person. Maybe it's a group of people or a type of person that you just have a hard time with. Maybe it's someone who disagrees with you politically. Maybe it's a person that currently worships a different God or maybe a person that lives a different lifestyle. Now here's the thing. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts and the lives of those people, not ours. You are correct. If you believe that a person cannot go on and continue living that lifestyle and not know about Jesus and then, you know, just, just continue on and they'll be just fine in the end. We know that's not true. That's why we must share with them the truth of what Jesus has to offer. But the reality is we have to share that truth in love with him. Only God can change them, not us. How will they ever know they need to change if they don't know God? How will they ever get to know God if they never see or experience His love through each of us? We often refer to those people that don't know Jesus yet, those that have not accepted His love, His grace, and His forgiveness as lost, right? That's a common term in the church. But there's a major, major, major problem with using that term. Most of you have probably experienced this before. You were on a journey. Maybe you took a wrong turn. Were you immediately lost? Well, no, you weren't. In fact, there's likely some listening that would claim they've never, ever been lost ever before in their entire lives. We can discuss that 
another day. You see, in order for you to understand or to know that you're lost, you have to know that you're off course. If the world is constantly telling you to do whatever you want, to live however you want, whatever makes you feel good, then do it. Believe whatever you want to believe to be true. All you're doing is blazing your own trail. Would you have any way of knowing that you were lost in your own life? It wasn't until you saw that roadside or you drove past that familiar object or you drove through the wrong town or you realize, man, we've been in the car for a really long time. Are we lost? <laughs> that you finally began to realize something wasn't right. If we do nothing but push away those that don't know Christ yet and are living a lifestyle in opposition to him and his love, then how will they ever know that they are on the wrong path? James says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James makes it really simple. Hey, don't show favoritism, period. He illustrates this truth in verses 3 and 4 and then moves on to an accusation in verse 5. You have insulted, you have dishonored the poor. James was accusing his readers of giving rich people places of honor and ignoring the very people who Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry hanging out with. It's a strong accusation. Jesus' real-life example was very clear. He came and he came for all. He invited all to listen, but it was the poor, the outcasts, who typically were the ones who responded. He went to the dinners at homes of Pharisees and tax collectors, yes. And he dined with the poorest of poor and the most humble of circumstances out in the wilderness using a boy's lunch. For James to see and hear about the people of Jesus not inviting the poor into their midst, it breaks his heart. And it causes him to question the credibility of their faith. He even reminds them, of the role that rich people often play in their life, the way that the rich will exploit them, the way the rich don't even believe in their God. And so instead of them trying to win the rich to Christ, instead they're trying to win favor from the rich for some kind of reward in their personal life. You see, Jesus spoke directly to this specific idea in Luke 14. On one Sabbath, Jesus, he went to the house of a prominent Pharisee and he shared with them this parable. He noticed how the guests were picking just the right spot to sit at the table. And he told them this, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and they will say, hey, give this person your seat. And then you, humiliated, will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus then said to the host of the dinner, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, there's nothing wrong with accepting gifts or an invitation from someone. But if you do, if you do, remember your place. Consider others better than yourself, no matter who you are. Humble yourself in every 
situation. And in so doing, you are lifting someone else up. Jesus reminds us also who to invite, who to help. Invite those that can't possibly repay you. Invite those from whom you expect absolutely nothing to, in return. Because when you do that, your reward from that dinner, from that banquet, or from that help comes from God alone. When we do the work of God, we are blessed by God. James shared that with us last week. In order to live this way, you and I, we, we have to set aside any prejudices at all that we might have. This is what it looks like to humble ourselves before God. James continues by addressing what all of us do, reasons for our actions. But James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, you are doing right. I want to pause on that phrase, the royal law, for a moment. It's really easy to pass by because the very next words are something that all of us know, the, the second greatest commandment, to love others, to love your neighbor as yourself. But James's description, the royal law, is just too rich not to think about. This royal law was put into effect by the king of kings himself, all the way back, Yahweh. And it's a law given by a king, and it's a law that the king expects his people to follow. He doesn't expect the world to follow it at all. It's one of the ways you and I are called to be different from the world. It is a law of royalty. You and I, we are sons and daughters of the king if we are followers of Jesus. It is to be a royal mark on our lives. And if we don't, if we don't obey this royal law, if we show favoritism, then we sin. And we are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, I it's true that in a lot of cases with discrimination, people presume some things. One thing that people presume is often that discrimination isn't really a sin. After all, they're different from me. I'm, I'm just recognizing those differences, right? Well, James points out in 2.9 that uh, no, no, this is a sin. Absolutely, completely a sin. And you are a lawbreaker as a result of your discrimination. The second presumption is discrimination isn't significant. In chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, James tells us otherwise. You see, me choosing to discriminate based on whatever, well, it's really not that important, right? There are many people in the world. In fact, there are some people just like them. You hear that word, them? Do you feel the exclusion that comes when you say the word, them? If you don't, let me illustrate it to you. Whether or not I accept them, whether or not I treat them well, whether or not I invite them in, dare I say whether or not I love them. It doesn't really matter in the long run, right? In the long run, right? So someone will. It's not my job to do that. James asked the question, are you breaking a command? Well, yeah, the second greatest according to Jesus. And if you break one part of the law, you're guilty for all of it. We must live out the royal law James refers to. It's who we are to be. There is no them in the eyes of Christ. He died for all. The third presumption is that discrimination is not serious. James is quick to point out in these verses that prejudice is a sin, that it is significant, and that it's significant, and absolutely it is serious. 
However, in James 2.13, he reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, merciful people have absolutely no fear of judgment. The one who shows mercy in his life is not afraid of the day when they will stand before the great judge who knows everything, every secret of every man's heart, because they know he will be merciful to them. Because mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. Now here's the thing. Has James turned into some uh, Old Testament Jewish religious law zealot here? No. Commanding that we adhere to every single fine detail of every single one of the Old Testament laws and practices? Here's what he's doing. He's stating the obvious. He's saying if you deny your neighbor the exact same thing that your Heavenly Father willingly gives you, then what does that make you? Our God is full of mercy. Our God is full of grace, overflowing, unending grace. Our God is forgiving. Our God, our Jesus, he died for us while we were still sinners, remember? Now he asks us to go to others, to love others while they are still sinners, just like us, and introduce them to the love we have been shown. Is that too much to ask? Is our faith genuine? Is it credible? Can people witness our faith in action in our lives? So far, the words of James have helped us understand how to make it through the trials that come our way in this world. He even shared with us how God can and does use these trials to help us grow in our faith, help us to grow deeper, stronger, and more mature in our faith. James has revealed to us the source of temptation in our lives that, that is our own evil desires that drag us away. We can't blame anyone but ourselves for these things. It's our own evil desires. But God will always provide that way out, that off-ramp, a parachute, an eject button, however you want to look at it, so that we can flee, run away from these evil desires, which would include being prejudiced. What an incredible God we serve. As James prepares us to go out into the world to share the gospel with others, he reminds us of the power of the tongue. Our tongue, which was created for good, can be the source of a great evil and destruction in our lives, both destroying our own lives as well as the lives of others, if, if we don't keep a tight rein on it. Once again, James calls us to fully rely on the power of the Spirit of God to overcome the threat of evil that is posed by our tongues. How we speak directly influences and affects our witness for Christ, and it is a way in which we reveal our faith to others. Then James calls us to put our faith into action. We must have a faith that is from the heart, a faith that is involved, a faith that is active, a faith that is visible, or else he says our faith is dead. Our faith is dead. A genuine, saving faith is fully visible. It's fully on display for all to see. It is not, even cannot be, an internal, personal belief only. Spiritually, when faith and works are separated, then we know that faith dies. Faith needs action in order to survive. Today, James boldly reminds us that there is no place for favoritism, discrimination, or prejudice in the life of a believer. It does not matter how you were brought up. It does not matter what part of the world you live in. It does not matter what the cultural or societal norms might be. We are set apart for God, and we must show His mercy, His grace, and His love to everyone in the same way that He did, without exception. 
a little over halfway through the book of James, man, that is convicting, isn't it? If you take James's words to heart and they don't convict you, uh, like I said last week, then, then your wood must be wet. Uh, man, I, I tell you what, his words are convicting. Dwell on those words. Dwell on his teachings. Don't forget when the video ends today, when you leave service today, reflect on the words, on the greatest challenges that James has addressed in your life. Pray about these. Which ones are the greatest struggles in your life? Admit those. Confess those to God. Pray for help. Seek guidance from others even. How is God asking you right now to put your faith on display for all to see? Allow God to work through you to reach out to others. Remember, if you are in Christ, you will bear much fruit. It's not an if, it's not a when, it's a you will and you will until the day that he calls you. This is an invitation time. This is our time to come to God, obviously to make a decision for Christ. If you've never made a decision for Christ, then uh, now's the time. You realize what Jesus has done for you and you want to begin to, to live out these words of James and, and what he asks us to do is we try to become more and more like Christ and right now is the time to make that decision for Jesus. Uh, we got some exciting things happening back in the church building too and we pray that many people will make that decision for Christ. Maybe today, maybe next week, maybe in the weeks to come, but if there's one person out there today that does not know the love of Jesus as their own yet, then we pray that they make that decision today. Uh, there's an opportunity to do that right there on your screen and then connect with us and pray with us right now so we can begin guiding you and leading you in that decision for Christ and one day we can welcome you into the, the waters of baptism and you can be baptized into the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins as Christ calls us to do. We could do that at your house, we could do it in a bathtub, in a pool, or back in the baptistry at church, wherever, but we're excited about that. For those of us that are believers, invitation time is usually ignored by most people. We don't take it personal. We, 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 it's just something that happens each week. We don't allow the Spirit to move in us and to convict us of the sin in our life, to convict us of the need for even prayer and things like that in our life. And so if that's you today, we pray that the Spirit is moving in you. Maybe, maybe, maybe forgiveness is what you need for discrimination, for prejudice that you have, things, d deep pent-up feelings, maybe things you grew up with and you're still trying to wrestle with. Give those over to God today. Let us pray with you today. Father God, as we come to the close of this message and we think about the ways that all of us do discriminate, the prejudices we do have in life, Father, can you help us to overcome those? Will you allow your spirit to open our eyes to those things and instead allow your love to flow out of us toward those people that we might discriminate against? Father, we need to show them your love in the same way you've shown us your love. And if there's someone out there that has never made a decision for Christ, as strange as it might seem that your spirit could move through a video like this, Father, we know that it can and will and does. And if there's someone out there today moving closer to you, we pray that the spirit convicts them of the sin in their life and the need for a savior. Father, we thank you and we are grateful for this opportunity together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's at this time that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. This being Memorial Day, it's a perfect time to remember this sacrifice. Someone willingly laying down their life. Someone came to this earth with the plan of laying down their life. Their entire life was geared up for the moment when they would offer it up for me and for you so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and spend forever, for all eternity with him, 
in heaven. What an incredible moment that is. And so we, we take the body that was broken for us and we eat together in remembering the sacrifice. And we take the juice, which represents the blood that was shed for each and every one of us. Again, on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember the sacrifices that individuals made to allow us this incredible freedom that we have in this country. And it's a fitting time to remember the incredible freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you to the thanks to the sacrifice he made as well. So we take this juice and remember. Father God, what an incredible gift. What an incredible gift you've given to us. And it is for this, this reason, it is this gift that we study your word together and we desire to become more like you because you set this example for us that you would even die for us. And Father, we are in this world today battling against sin, battling against temptation, battling against prejudice on all of these things, facing trials of all kinds. And yet you give us your words of encouragement and those words of encouragement are always backed up with the reminder of what you did. Not just what you said. And for that we are grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, want to thank you for your generosity over these months now that we've not been able to meet in person. All that changes next week. But uh, we, we do. We, we do need those funds to keep things in operation, to prepare the building and, and, and uh, grounds to be ready for everybody to come back together. Uh, coming up soon and so on your screen right now are those reminders of, of how to give uh, obviously you can click, click the give button right now if you're on the, the chat feature on the Berea Christian uh, the Berea the Berea Christian Church online dot church uh, website um, you can give there you can go to our website click the donate now button bccbrazil.org you can even text to give um, that's an easy easy way to do it or you can continue uh, to write checks and next week you can bring those in person. We're so excited to get together next week. I hope and pray for an awesome day to gather together. Um, I know God is just going to give us that incredible day. We, we pray for that. I pray that all of you are as well. Um, bring those incredible chairs. I, I've got some goofy pictures on the screen. I know that's fun. Maybe you have one of those giant chairs that you can bring. Uh, it will laugh. It, it'll be good fun. Maybe you got inflatable furniture to set on out in the lawn. We don't care. Uh, we are just excited about everybody gathering together once again. So pray with us that next week will happen on schedule outside on the 31st. If not, we'll be online like we are right now, but we're praying for God to give us a tremendous day. I pray that you have a good Memorial Day weekend, that you do get a moment to sit down with your family around the dinner table possibly and just reflect. Remind your kids of the sacrifices that were made in order for them to exist in this world in the way that they do. They are phenomenal. There's no greater place on this earth than the country in which we live. And there are flaws, absolutely. There's flaws because we, mankind, are the ones running it. But those flaws are blown away by the incredible freedoms that God's given us here. So remember that this weekend. Thank you all um, for this time together. If we're not online next week, then uh, this might be the end of communicating this with you this way, at least per permanently. Uh, we'll talk about some other things coming down the road. But, but uh, thank you for joining us this way, for the difficulties we've had, the technology we had to figure out, and all those things moving forward. We thank you for your patience and graciousness. Um, please continue to share these things with friends and family. We love you. We can't wait to gather in Jesus' name next week. Amen.